extend a welcome to you in the name of Jesus this morning. Certainly was a blessing to discuss the Word of the Lord, uh, the truths that are in there for us. I, one of the things that I kind of got hung up was the wrestling match between the angel and, and Jacob. Now, that's always kind of challenged me. And, uh, you know, there was Jacob the next day facing a very challenging test in his life and experience uh, his brother who was, he was estranged to. And, uh, you know, ho- probably hoping for a good night's sleep. And what did he do but spend the whole night wrestling? And, uh, you know, I had to wonder, you know, does God, I know God knows what each one of us are facing tomorrow, a year from now, a week from now, whatever the situation might be in our experiences. And was that God's way in preparing Jacob for that that test tomorrow? Uh, you know, Jacob, one word that's used in that uh, portion of Scripture there is this, Jacob prevailed. And uh, you know what Jacob's experience had been before? He fled. He ran away from it. But Jacob prevailed in this uh, wrestling match, and God blessed him for that. And uh, even though he did touch him on the hollow of his thigh, and, you know, I'm just thinking in my own mind, okay, so here he has this test tomorrow coming up, and here he comes limping into camp, into Laban's camp, with that his thigh out of joint or whatever all happened there, the sinew being destroyed, you know, certainly not looking very threatening. And, uh, you know, maybe that was God's way of uh, taking some of the, can I say the fire out of Jacob? <laughs> and that brings me to my message this morning. And uh, I, the question that's asked in a question form, has your fire been lit, uh, lit by God this morning? And uh, I was blessed as in... Uh, Roderick's song selections in the opening caught my attention, I guess because I knew what I was going to be sharing about. 609, the third verse verse goes like this, Breathe on me, breath of God, till I am wholly thine, until this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine. And uh, so that's what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to uh, light us up for his glory. Just a bit of a review. I, I began, and I didn't really plan this being somewhat of a series, but I, I back before Christmas I talked about Jesus becoming the Word of God, the Word of God, being the Word of God incarnate, showing us how to flesh out the literal Word of God. And then I looked at some of his appearances in the Old Testament, um, primarily as he appeared in uh, the promise of the offspring and the sacrifices of involving Ishmael and Isaac as a type of his sacrifice, perfect sacrifice on Calvary. And the last time then I looked at Jesus' appearances in the Old Testament that involved fire, which was a symbol of deliverance, the burning bush with Moses and the pillar of fire, uh, as Moses was used of God to lead the children of Israel from deliverance out of Egypt, and then also Gideon's fire with the Midianites and his acceptance, his, uh, God's acceptance of his sacrifice and the fire consumed on the altar, that sacrifice that Gideon had brought out. And then I concluded with Acts chapter 2 as, as God poured out his spirit upon the early believers in the church and it appeared, the Holy Spirit appeared as cloven tongues of fire. So I want to look at, at that in a little more depth this morning as I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16. I found it rather interesting. Uh, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, said he told his followers, he said, I, it's necessary that I go and leave so that the Comforter can come. But we know that the Holy Spirit was present with Jesus and in his baptism, for one. 
you know, as, as he was baptized of John, the, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit gave confirmation that this is the Son of God. And there was other times that the Holy Spirit gave uh, confirmation during his earthly ministry. So why did Jesus say, well, it's necessary that I need to go so that the Holy Spirit will come? Well, I think each part of the deity has its, uh, has its unique place to role and place to fill in the lives of you and I as Christians. Jesus came and provided the, the necessary blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And then we have the Holy Spirit coming after that to give us the sustaining power and the victory that we can have in Christ Jesus. It's like God giving us a part of himself to live within us. And that's something no other God can promise. And uh, do we grasp that this morning? I want to read in John 16, beginning at verse 5. But now I go my way to him that sent me, this is Jesus speaking here, and none of you askest me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Notice that. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive a mine, and he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while and you shall not see me. And again a little while and you shall see me because I go to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while and you shall not see me. And again a little while and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father. And uh, I think I wanted to stop reading there at verse 16. But... Uh, so there we have uh, Jesus saying, telling his disciples that it's necessary that he has to go so that the Comforter will come. The NIV translates that word Comforter there as Counselor or Helper, and it, it has a connotation of a legal term, as, as a legal advisor in, in court. And uh, we would maybe call it today a lawyer. So we have the Holy Spirit as a legal advisor in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, coaching us on how to approach the battle of life. We were talking about conflicts this morning in the Sunday school lesson. So that we know how to be successful and, and victorious. The Holy Spirit is that legal advisor from God. And... Uh, and it went on further to say, it said, it refers to someone that is in trouble. <laughs> now, isn't that all of us? We're all in trouble as it comes to before God. We need that legal advisor. We need that Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth so that we can uh, be what God wants us to be. We're in trouble. And when we understand that, it, it, it helps us to recognize our dependence on, on the Holy Spirit. The first point I want to pick out here and point out to you about the Holy Spirit is the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, and it's a part of the Trinity. Uh, just as much as Jesus was a part of the Trinity. We see that Jesus expressing that here in this passage of Scripture. He says, 
you know, it's it's all one and the same. And uh, so it's part of the part of the triune Godhead and uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Furthermore, John, in, if we flip back in John 4, verses uh, 24, I'll just quickly flip back there. It tells us that uh, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, very clearly tells us, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now that sets the parameters up for us to relate to God. It must be through the Spirit. Now, that Spirit is in each one of us. Each one of us has a Spirit this morning, and we need, that's our, that's our, our venue through which we communicate with God. It's through a spiritual dimension. Um, but to worship God in Spirit and in truth, what exactly, what exactly is that? And is that our experience this morning, I ask you? Are you worshiping God this morning in Spirit and truth? Is that your experience? Is that my experience? A couple of things I, I thought of as I thought about marks of, of true worship, and as we think of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, um, may just turn to a couple of scriptures here. You can follow along and listen as I read if you want. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, first of all, I think we need to recognize uh, and read and reverence the word as being... Uh, What's the word I want? It's authorized by God. Um, it is God. <laughs> Just as I talked about Jesus being the incarnate word. Matthew 15. I want to read those verses here as I think about that aspect of, of marks of true, true worship and recognizing the word for, for what it really is. Matthew chapter 15 verse 7. Jesus had this to say. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, This people draweth nigh me, Nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called to multitudes and said unto them, Hear and understand. Jesus here was proclaiming something different. He said, We're moving to a different level of worship. He said, Hear and understand. It's not that which goeth into the mouth that defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth that defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended? After they heard this saying, we were talking about offenses in the Sunday school lesson, weren't we? The disciples, they were, uh, the uh, Pharisees were offended. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted out. So there we find Jesus in his own words saying that, Worship can just be a superficial thing. I mean, the attempt of worship can just be a superficial thing. It can be sitting on these pews and maybe even looking like you're paying attention and and uh, singing the songs. And But, you know, it, it needs to be in spirit and in truth. The second thing that I want to mark of a true worship experience is the fact that pray to God, make it personal. Uh, John 17, just a few pages back from our text, was John 17, verse 26, tells us like this. And I have declared unto them thy name, and would declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. God wants to be a part of each one of us this morning. He wants to be in us. You know, that's an intimate relationship. Stop and think. Pray to God. Make it personal. Uh, Make it your God, my God. And uh, 
Jesus here, those, these are the words of Jesus in John 17, verse 26. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. The third thing, mark of a true worship, is preach and teach the kingdom truths, and that's in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. It's important that what we're preaching in our worship experience is not, is truth. The word of God. God's word needs to be central and, and focal in all of our presentation, I believe. Uh, I'm not saying there aren't other, other worthy Helps, but I believe it, it's only good as, as it's connected to the truth of God's Word. There's many study helps that we use that, uh, you know, that, that are tied together with the truths that are in God's Word. And I, again, but I believe in preaching and teaching, you know, it needs to have that, that connection back to the truth of God's Word at some point, at some point. There's sometimes things that can be explained in, you know, and, and it depends on uh, and again, the spirit can give understanding, and I, I guess there's different levels of of intellect, different levels of uh, comprehension, understanding. And sometimes, you know, people are gifted with. And that's a that's a gift of a teacher. Is a teacher can take something complicated and make it simple. And I'm not saying that the word of God is complicated. I believe it is very simple. And I believe God, with His Spirit, can give us understanding of the truth and the principles, and and apply them to our walk and life. Preach and teach the kingdom truths is foundational to a true spirit-filled worship experience. Fourth, different from the world. Um, our, our worship from, from, is different from what the world is. In John 17, verse 16, Jesus in his high priestly prayer prayed this. He said, um, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we're worshiping in a different sphere, a different realm than what the people of the world are worshiping in. Uh, it's different. It's it's glorifying God rather than self and man. Our worship this morning is 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 a worship that that, that points us to God and brings us to a closer walk with Him, brings us to a relationship with Him. It ought to, if it's true and spirit filled. Uh, again, Jesus very puts that. I think very. Uh, Pointly there, he says, they are not of the world. Clearly a separation, clearly a mark of distinction. Our worship is going to be different. Our worship will be different. And then the fifth point of a mark of true worship is the, is to have a genuine love for God and each other. And that's in John 13, back further in the book of John there again. Uh, just a couple of verses there, John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. So that's a mark of, of true worship is the fact that we recognize the love that God has had for us and it, it flows into us and then flows out to us in a horizontal way as we relate to one another. So that's, uh, as we think of the Holy Spirit being God and what it does for us, you know, it's, it's a powerful, it should have a powerful impact on our, our lives and our worship experience and, and making us what God wants us to be and setting us on fire for Him, if you please, as the uh, hymn writer described it. That His, we become more Christ-like, we become more God-like. The second point in my message here is I think about the Holy Spirit. Uh, what does the Holy Spirit do for God's children? 
first of all, other than the worship aspect, that, as, as I think of the intimate relationship that it brings us to in our relationship with God, uh, I believe it in John 3, a number, uh, number of things there, John 3, verses 5 and 6, it tells us like this. This is uh, Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, a very uh, familiar account to most Bible scholars. And it says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Clearly giving a, uh, a marked connection with our, uh, our connection to God's kingdom. It gives us a spiritual being fit for God's kingdom. That's what the Holy Spirit does. As we become one of his children, as we are born uh, into the family of God through baptism, through faith, and uh, that Holy Spirit then becomes a part of our uh, our spirit, makes us, dwells within us, and makes us what we ought to be. And that brings me to the second aspect of what the Holy Spirit does for us, and that is that our body here this morning, what you see is our physical body, but inside that physical body is is the Holy Spirit living within each one of us that have named the name of Christ. And uh, John 14, 20, 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So how does that happen? That happens through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit living within us this morning. Each one of us that has named the name of Christ, that Holy Spirit, it's a precious promise to know that God's Spirit is living within us as His children. And it, it's, uh, it's somewhat, the closest I can come to it is the way that as our, as our earthly, as we as children of our earthly parents bear somewhat the resemblance of, of our earthly genetics, you know, we, we bear the, the spiritual semblance of God as His Spirit comes into us and possesses us and and brings out the the responses that God is blessed with and and can use. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does for us as God's children is the fact that it it gives us God's love in our lives. And I want to turn to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter 5, verses, uh, I want to read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the role of Jesus Christ. It was through his, his redemption on Calvary we can have peace. Now we're talking about a step beyond that. We're talking about having, after that peace has been procured, we've accepted that, uh, that, uh, sacrifice. And, and put our faith in that sacrifice, then God gives us His Holy Spirit. Uh, through Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. How? By the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So, talking about tribulations, talking about unpleasant things. We were talking about that in Sunday school lesson this morning. There's so many things in life that we would deem unpleasant and we'd bypass them if we could. But it tells us that as we face tribulations and it works patience, as patience experience and experience hope. And as that hope, you know, progresses in our lives, we look to God and find uh, answers for the questions we have in life. And then God's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
uh, and again, I can't, that's, that's simplifying it. I, I can't totally explain how that all happens. But when we feel God's presence and peace, it mentions the aspect of peace there too, having peace in, in, in our relationship with him, knowing that God knows what I'm going through, what you're going through. It gives us God's love in our lives, and it certainly can help us through those tribulations and trying times. Another thing that the Holy Spirit does for the believer in John 16, verse uh, verse 13, Howbeit when he the Spirit, I read this verse, I believe, Howbeit when he the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Holy Spirit is a guide that we can trust. And one of the questions that comes up many times is, is how do we know it's the Holy Spirit guiding us? Well, I think we can know. With confidence, we can know. I think that there's there's checkpoints for us to look at. Some of those checkpoints are, does it conflict with any other portion of God's Word, if God is directing us? Uh, is there, maybe there's other uh, counselors, other brethren and sisters in the Lord that would give me direction. Is there any uh, cautions there? Just two things quickly as they come to my mind. And uh, so the Holy Spirit will guide us. It will also give us understanding. Going back to John 14, verse 26, John talked a lot about the Spirit. These things have I, pardon me, but the Comforter, verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You know, you stop and think about the, the, the writing of the Gospels. You know, what, we, we know from the, the, the canon of the Scripture that it was the Holy Spirit that, that, moved and prompted them to remember everything. It gives us an indication there in verse 26 that all things will bring all things to your remembrance. So as they walked and talked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, uh, and, you know, that three years, who of you could write a diary three years past? You know, these are the Gospels were probably written maybe three years past, I'm assuming. Uh, they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They may have been, they kept notes. I don't know. I just never thought about that. But he does say, say that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance as I have said unto you. So, uh, were these gospels written, you know, after Christ left? That'd be my inclination, I guess. But, uh, and the Holy Spirit. We do know the scriptures say that, uh, the Holy Spirit moved men and empowered them to read and to write those, the scripture. So it gives us understanding. It also empowers us, turn to Acts chapter 6. This is another very um, uh, interesting account. Acts chapter uh, 6. This is the account of uh, Stephen. Acts chapter 6, I want to read uh, verse 8. As we think of the Holy Spirit empowering us as believers, it, it gives the description here. It says, And Stephen, full of faith, Stephen, one of the seven deacons that was ordained, says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So, again, it was the Holy Spirit that empowered Stephen to be what God wanted him to do. And it, it, it got people's attention. So that's verse 8. Now, jumping ahead to chapter 7, notice what it accomplished for him. Chapter 7, verses uh, 51 through 60. Breaking into his, he had a very long sermon, so I'm not going to read the whole sermon. Uh, we could, could have talked all morning about that, but breaking in here toward the end of his sermon, Stephen here is getting pretty, pretty sharp. He says, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, 
Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did. So do ye. So they were not uncircumcised in, only in their hearts and their ears, but, you know, verse 52, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, referring to Jesus, of whom ye have been known, the betrayers and murderers of Jesus. I'm just injecting that there because that's who Jesus, that's who Stephen is talking about. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling unto God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So what a commentary. A man that was full of the Holy Spirit and doing wonderful things, and the people could not embrace it and accept it. I like, I guess looking at verse 60, it just kind of hit me as never before. (laughs) He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. You know, uh, as I thought about that, uh, if you drop down to verse 8 too, it says, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. So there were some that were willing to to come to Stephen's aid and, and carried him out of this, carried him out and uh, gave him a somewhat of a, a decent burial. Well, was that the end of Stephen? No, it was probably just the beginning of Stephen. He commended his spirit to the Lord. Uh, his spirit, I believe, went to God. And so the question comes up this morning is, really, who is the real you and me this morning? Who was the real Stephen? Was it the body that they stoned, or was it his spirit that went to God? And thinking about you and me this morning, what is the real you and me this morning? Is it the physical body that I see, or is it the spirit that's within each one of us? I think, and I hope we'd be agreed, that it's the spirit that is within us. Dropping down further um, on in the book of Acts there. While we're there, I'm going to just read these verses. I found that rather interesting. Verses eight, uh, reading, uh, Acts 8, verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now these are the Gentiles. They had received the word of God. They sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So there they were making special prayer that they would receive the Holy Ghost. They had received... The word of God, they have received Jesus, but yet had not received the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, for as yet it was fallen upon none of them, only when they were baptized in the name, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So only after the disciples laid their hands on them. And when Simon saw that through the laying, this is Simon the sorcerer here, he saw that through the laying on the of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this, give me also this power that whomsoever I lay hands on may also receive the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God can be purchased with money. 
Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And I'll stop there, but rather interesting account involving uh, the early church and the, the dispensing of the Holy Spirit. Here was Simon, who uh, Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit and stoned, and uh, you know got attention and uh, through the miracles and works that he was doing, and it attracted Simon the sorcerer's uh, attention so much that he thought that he could perhaps buy it with money, and Peter rebuked him for that. We cannot buy the Holy Spirit with money; it's a gift from God. We need to be totally emptied of self and filled with his, filled with his spirit makes us effective workers in God's kingdom this morning. The more emptied I am of self makes me more, gives me more volume for God's spirit to indwell me. The third part of my message and in conclusion, the concluding part of my message, I want to turn to Galatians chapter 5, which deals with the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the lives of, of children of God. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Notice it's singular, the fruit. It's not fruits, it's the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Notice what it says there. They have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. God's Spirit living within us gives us a multifaceted expression. It's a single Spirit, but it can manifest itself in all these different ways of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Um, Our spirit that you and I have living within us is is what we take uh, to the future of God's kingdom. That's what we'll that's what we'll be leaving here. Our body, uh, the fleshly body, is left here to decay. But the spiritual body that we have that we cannot see, we see the, the results of it. We see the fruit of it that should be expressing itself in our lives. These fruit here, this fruit here, should be expressing itself in our in our physical. Relationships, um, but it's the spiritual life, that body that we take into the future of God's kingdom, and that is heaven. Notice in Galatians chapter, uh, same chapter, verse sixteen, Paul says, "This I say then: Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh." And then he lists a whole category of, of expressions that are contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, "If you walk in the Spirit, then you will not be performing or." Be bothered with the works of the flesh. I guess the challenge I want to, as I thought about, you know, what we're taking to glory. Our our spiritual body is what we take to glory, what we take to heaven. Uh, we need to practice it now. We need to practice love. We need to practice joy. We need to practice peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We need to be practicing that now. Even though we're not in heaven per se. You know, there's no cripples in heaven, no crutches. 
No wheelchairs, no walkers, no canes. Uh, we need to practice walking in the Spirit, because I believe walking in the Spirit is a, is a walk that is not impeded by any type of affliction. When we walk in the Spirit, we walk like we're, like we've got energy. The Spirit energizes us. As I thought about God's kingdom, I thought, well, maybe love could, you know, kingdoms all have their different, uh, uh, aspects. Uh, kingdoms have currency. Uh, kingdoms have laws. I thought, well, love could be the currency of heaven. Uh, if love is indeed the currency of heaven, let's start investing in eternity. Let's share it now. Let's share the love of God. Let's share our love with those around us in the world. Uh, I thought it was interesting if you drop down to verse 23, as it lists at the end of this conclusion of the fruit of the Spirit, it says, against there is no law. Uh, do you know of any kingdom that uh, or country that has no laws? Uh, I don't know. I mean, usually that's there's a charter of some sort drawn up, the United States in its early constitution. And I heard one time how many laws we're at for our country today, and it's it's exorbitant. Uh, you have your state laws, you have your federal laws, but uh, you know, here is here is heaven that really it's it's it doesn't have a big list of laws. Uh, it's it's knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and then allowing the Holy Spirit to live within you, and then it says there is no law beyond that. And uh, talk about freedom in Christ. I mean, we're not we're not reading the fine print. Okay, what can I get away with? We're just living it to the fullest. First uh, Timothy chapter one verse nine is a thought that I wanted to bring in here. First Timothy one verse nine. That's not the verse I wanted. Oh, I'm in Thessalonians. I wonder. <laughs> I think it has something about uh, knowing this. First Timothy one nine. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and mo- murderers of mothers, for manslayers. That's what the law is for. But we're living above the law. We're living in freedom of law because of the empowering presence of God's Spirit within us. So our heavenly kingdom has no laws. Uh, as I thought about uh, heaven and God's kingdom, you know, we're we're in this world, and and you know, some of these fruits sometimes we struggle with. In, in reality, we're not, you know, we're honest. Um, love, let's share it freely. Joy, no no down days here. You know, I, as I thought of joy, I thought, well, you know, that could be the language. You know, it's we need to speak the language of, of heaven. How well can I, how joyful will I be able to be when I get over there in glory? Will I be able to sing? Will I be rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done for us? Uh, peace, no conflicts. There we go back to our devotional and Sunday school lesson. You know, no conflicts. Uh, peace is, is, is in the kingdom of God. Long-suffering, no impatience. Uh, you know, we, we encounter... Impatient drivers, we encounter impatient people in lines, wherever the lines may be. Uh, there's gentleness, kindness that is unlimited, goodness, uh, none good but God. Goodness is a source, God is the source of all goodness. There's no struggle. I thought of the Apostle Paul who says that he struggles sometimes. The good that he wants to do, he, he ends up not doing it, and that's just in my own words. And uh, the good that he would, that he doesn't do. And uh, so it can be a struggle for us in this world. Faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now, that's a challenging one. How many of us would like to go through this life blind? Uh, 
Jesus says, in the new world to come, we'll walk by faith. Now, I believe we will have a vision and a sight that's different than what we have here today. It talks about meekness, gentleness. Uh, I thought of Moses, uh, who is said to be the meekest man, on, was the meekest man. And uh, certainly a, a dimension of the fruit of the Spirit that we need to grow in temperance. Now, temperance, self-control, that's getting pretty close home sometimes. You know, we're talking about Sunday school last night, and I had to think of this. You know, sometimes we are our greatest enemy. At least that's the way I find it. That selfish nature wants to say, yeah, you're right. That selfish nature wants to say, yeah, you deserve it. Selfish nature wants to say, yeah, do it. And uh, it gets us in trouble. You know, I had to think about self-control. I don't think there will be any selfies in heaven. Uh, we'll be focusing on God. Sorry, young people, no selfies. Um, as I thought about this conclusion of the Holy Spirit and its its the way it impacts our lives as believers, I thought, you know, what would it be like to just practice heaven for one day? I mean, successfully. And take each one of those fruit that's mentioned there, the, the description of them, and and live it to its fullest. You know. And we'd say, Well, this is heaven on earth. And uh I ask myself, how ready am I to commit to that level? Why well, should be? We all should be. We another expression we sometimes use is we're citizens of another country. Well, let's live like that. Let's live like we're citizens of another country. We're, we're living above the law. We're living, we're allowing these, uh, fruit to permeate our, our lives and our attitudes and our relationships. And, uh, so we don't vote. We don't go to war in this country. Uh, you know, we're here. We're citizens. We're, we, we say we're ambassadors for heaven, trying to get more people into glory. And, uh, we need to be faithful in, in, in living that, fleshing that out. And again, we can't do it in our own strength. It's only as God's Holy Spirit indwells us and makes us what we ought to be. Are you ready to go? Let's go.